Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Mac and Jack Sports Debate Show here live. Saturday 8 to 10 on Roku TV, YouTube, and Facebook Live. We're live on the Mac and Jack Sports Show Thursday through Sunday. Today, I'm your host, Mac, with your co-host, Boxing Hall of Fame legendary writer Jack Hirsch, and our special co-host who joins us every Saturday from Start Spreading the News blog and uh, YouTube show, Dr. Paul Semendinger. And guys, how you doing today? And how's everybody out there? Baseball is back. Yes. That means the ratings on Doc's show are probably going to go up. Well, uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we'll see. They can't get much higher. I mean, uh, you know, uh, them and 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 uh, Jack's show, Glove Fist, has been going back and forth. Uh, Start spreading news. Normie edges them out, but last week. Uh, start spreading the news, but almost knocked Jack's show off, uh, out of the ring. I should say they really, they really caught some, some, some wind last week. In fact, they beat us, Jack, in the audio where we were, we were comfortably, comfortably ahead of everybody else. Uh, the way we do the show and start spreading the news. I threw a little bit about Craig Nettles in there. I think that really got the listeners to listen to their show, and they passed us. So. Um, congratulations to Doc and Jack. Your show, of course, is you've beaten them a couple of times. So you guys do really well over there, too. So, guys, as you know, this is a debate show, and I'd like to throw something out at you before we start our debate. And as Doc said, baseball is back. Uh, the contract has been signed, I think it was 26 to 12 by the Players Association. Uh, the owners ratified it unanimously. And I... I said something last week, and I and I told Jack about this, Doc. And, you know, it was getting to the point where if they continued this lockout, they would have to start paying the network's money. So even my assistant producer said, you know, this is going to end soon. Uh, once the owners start actually losing money, uh, things are going to get resolved. Uh, of course, the players don't want to lose money at all. I don't blame them. And, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, to ratify this, uh, kind of pushes things forward. But I want to talk a little bit about the rule changes in there. And I want to, I'm going to talk about some of the rule changes and some that you guys feel maybe should have put that, that you don't agree with and some that maybe they should have put in that might have helped the game. I think we both all can agree that I'm, I'm kind of glad we have a pitch timer now, right? You got so much time to pitch the ball. There's no reason why you should be out there for a couple of minutes walking around the mound and, and doing what you got to do before you throw the ball. If you're locked in, you're locked in, and you really don't have to spend a lot of time. They also voted to make the bases bigger. They say it's for the, the health of the players, and I think it has something to do with stealing bases. I really do. I think I think that they want more stolen bases, and uh, this is why they did that. I think it's kind of ridiculous, but uh, that's one a new rule. Another rule is that they kind of outlawed the shift. That rule I kind of disagree with a lot because, again, you know, we're trying to get the offense uh, of Major League Baseball. We're always giving them advantages. And way back when, when they started shifting on Ted Williams, he still hit for over 400. I think the Major League Baseball players today uh, don't hit for average. They don't hit the ball like like a professional batter. They're, most of the times they're trying to knock it out of the park and pull the ball. 
And to me, that's a re- they're bad. That has nothing to do with the defense. As I told Jack, in the NFL, you could put 11 guys on the line of scrimmage on defense. You could put one guy on the line on defense, and the offense can change formations as long as it's within the rules. And you could have five guys on one side and four guys on the other, whatever you want to do. It's the defense's job to stop you from doing that or the offense's job to come up with something different. And I think what they did there was just help the offense some more and kind of baby the players a little bit. And we'll get to each one. I'll I'll get your opinion on each one of these. Um, Advertising on uniforms. I cannot see a Zest Bar commercial or or logo on a Yankee uniform or or something like that. To me, that's ridiculous. Um, There's no reason for that. Um, they make enough money, I think. And, and, and to me, that kind of, that kind of, you shouldn't see that. It looks like, are we going to be looking like NASCAR drivers where the whole uniform is covered in advertising? I, I think it's kind of classless and tacky, but they agreed to that. Um, and again, I think there's some rules that they could have put in effect that really would have helped the game move it along and make it more interesting. And it really doesn't change the game like some of these rules do. So first guys, uh, and, and not to forget the National League, you know, having a DH now. And, uh, you know, I didn't care if they did or not. I just wanted it the same in both both leagues. If you don't, it's ridiculous to go to another league and you can't use your DH or, you know, if the National League is a disadvantage, either one way or the other, either the pitchers hit or they don't. And that just makes sense. you got to have some kind of continuity. So, Jack, with those rule changes, are there any one of those that you disagree with? Uh, I actually disagree with banning the shift. If a team wants to shift, let them play all their guys wherever. I mean, shouldn't the burden be on the hitters to adjust? Are the hitters so uh, narrow narrow in their scope towards hitting that they can't hit to the opposite field? I mean, just think of having half the field open for you, half the infield open for you. All you have to do is tap a little ground ball to the side of the field where they're not shifting. And that's a double. That's two bases right over there. And I'm I'm against banning the shift. Let them play the players wherever they want. What are we going to do next? Are we going to have zones in the outfield saying you can't play a power hitter deep by the warning track? Or if it's a singles hitter, a guy who doesn't have much power, You can't play him too close to the infield if you're an outfielder. I mean, are we going to do something against playing the infield in if there are two outs and you want to cut off a run? I mean, there are implications, and I'm against that. But with that said, even the great Ted Williams, who you mentioned, he never knew what to make out of the shift. He Even after he retired, he wasn't sure whether the best way to beat the shift was to hit straight through it or to hit around it, you know? It's not an easy thing. But listen, hitters have to adjust. If it's an outside pitch, you hit it to the opposite field. If it's an inside pitch, make it a perfect pitch. Otherwise, take it for ball. Show plate discipline. And uh, it takes the burden off the batters. I mean, I just don't like the shift rule. But I, lo- I love the, pi- the pitch time. I, th- I think that's great. Okay. How about you, Doc? Any of those you disagree with? Any of those I disagree with, yes. Um, 
I'll also talk about the ones I agree with, I guess. Uh, I don't like the bigger bases. I think it's a terrible idea. I think the design is to increase offense, and I think it will. You're going to see more stolen base attempts. You're going to see more successful stolen bases. But you're going to see, just think about a typical game, and you think about all the bang-bang plays that happen. It probably happens a couple of times a uh, a game, just out by an inch, just safe by an inch. I mean, they say baseball is a game of inches. Well, you just change that um, dynamic. And I think the larger size basis is going to radically change the game in ways that, that we just can't foresee yet. I think it's a little shift that's going to make a, a, a little a change that's going to make a huge difference in the way the game is played. And I think it's going to benefit the offense greatly. And maybe that adds excitement to the game. But, but I think when you do things like this that totally change the way the game is played and you totally change the dimensions of the field, it, it just radically changes. Uh, changes the game from one era to the next. This is going to be now the bigger base era. And it's going to be hard to compare things like stolen bases to the guys of the eighties when there was the big stolen base boom or, or periods of time before that. Uh, I like the pitch clock. When I pitch, I get the ball, I get back on the rubber and I throw the ball. And then uh, hopefully the ball goes past the batter and I get a swinging strike and then I get the ball back and then I get on the rubber and then I throw the ball. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in, moving fast. And I think one of the things that baseball has done is it's gotten slow and tedious at times with people standing on the mound and batters getting out of the batter's box. So it's going to force the batters to get in the batter's box. It's going to force the pitchers to get the ball and, and to start throwing. So I like that. Um, I love the universal DH. I've hated the idea that pitchers who've spent their entire life not hitting even as far down as little league and club ball as, as kids. And then through high school and college, you have the great pitchers who don't necessarily hit through the minor leagues and they get to the major leagues and expect them to hit a major league pitcher. The, the, it, the whole thing was absurd. And then you end up having pitchers getting hurt. I mean, Chin Ming Wong, his whole career basically got ruined because he got hurt running the bases, which is something he never had to do because he was a Yankees pitcher and he was playing in a national league park. That was silly, but I'm the only person I know who actually has changed his mind on the shift and I don't hate it. And I'm surprised that uh, as this became a reality, I don't hate it. And I'll tell you why. And I was trying to think of the words for this, but the technology basically took the game away from the sport before the last number of years and all the stat cast and all the defensive metrics where they could actually tell exactly pinpoint where the majority of each batter hits the ball. You could play the shift, but they played it less aggressively, if you will, because there was still the thought that maybe this guy doesn't hit the ball to that spot that often. But now they know with very close precision where the guy's going to hit the ball most of the time. And so what they do is they put a player, obviously, in that spot. And what, it, what what's happened is when you watch baseball, there's an expectation when you see a pitch and you see a ball getting hit that it's going to be either an out or a hit. Oh, it's a line drive over the middle. That should be a base hit. Nope. It's right at the shortstop who's playing on the other side of second base. And it leads to this incongruous uh, uh, feeling like, like it just doesn't make sense. Like, wait a minute, that's a base hit, a line drive up the middle. No, not now, because they shifted so much. And I know the ideas that batters should have um, adapted to it. But we were talking about this with Mark Teixeira, who's been retired seemingly forever now, who couldn't bat against the shift. The shift has been around for a long time now, probably 10 or more years where it's being used so regularly. 
And most players haven't been able to hit around it, which means that obviously they can't. There's a whole generation of players who can't hit around the shift. And so the idea that players should hit against the shift is great. And that's what I always believed. But the fact that they haven't been able to do it makes me say, you know what? Let's make baseball look like baseball again. And a ground ball to shortstop should be a ground out and a line drive up the middle or a line drive over second base into right field should be a single instead of a ground out to the second baseman who's playing in right field. Right. So doc, you're saying you're against the shift now against. No, 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 I'm I'm for the, I'm against the shift. I'm for the rule that limits the shift. shift. Yeah. So you're against the shift. Yeah. What about this theory? Okay. Take a guy like Joey Gallo who hates the shift. Uh, So let's say the shift's not allowed. Uh, If I'm a manager, I'm going to play my players as close to the imaginary line as I can that I'm legally allowed. At what point are they allowed to run over into shift position? Let's say the second the ball leaves the pitcher's hand, the ball technically is in play, right? The moment it leaves his hand. So I have them sprint into shift position and then quickly turn around and then Joey Gallo hits a ground ball to one of them, and they're in position, and they throw him out. There are ways you might be able to get around it. I there think are so, ways, but we, and that we, has no one's mentioned that. We've all played ball, and when you play baseball, what do they tell you you need to be doing when the pitch is going? Like you, squatting, kneeling. Getting you need to be in the ready position. Yeah, Doc, I go back so far. They, I was a first baseman. They would yell at me if I didn't catch a ball with two hands. Right, right. But you need to be in the ready position. I don't think baseball players are going to be able to uh, watch the pitcher, release the ball, and then run to a spot on the field and be in position to make a play. I I just don't see it. It all happens too quickly. Analytics show certain batters hit a ball in a certain area. They're going to base it on that, and chances are – they will hit it around that area. That's correct. That's why the yeah. shift has taken a lot of the enjoyment out of the game. That's what happened. You but see I'm a line drive base hit, and then it's it. not a hit. It's a ground out. It's a right Yeah, but field. I'm just saying to anticipate where they might hit it. There might be ways. So I have a feeling that's going to come into play later on, like what I'm mentioning. Maybe I, I, I don't think players are going to want to do it that. It has to go off the batter's bat before they're allowed to move. it's very rare that even find a first baseman. I mean, Keith Hernandez did this, but it's very rare that even find a first baseman who moves around when the runner's on base and, and all that kind of stuff. Players want to be ready. And that ball comes at you fast, right? It's, it's an an instant. Once that ball leaves the pitcher's hand, it's probably a fraction of a second before the batter has to make up his mind, whether the swing or not. And then it's a fraction of a second. Once he does swing, and if you're running this way and the ball goes that way, I don't. I just don't think it's. I don't think pit players are going to be comfortable running as the pitcher's throwing the ball. If they were, maybe we'd see more of that already. The game's been around for a long time, and people just don't do that. Except well, they for a very rare occasion. That's the way of combating the shift. I just, just so so, so what you're saying, Doc, is that batters don't have to learn to hit the ball correctly anymore. That batters don't have to bunt the ball anymore. I mean, the, the basics of baseball, what made baseball fun and great, nah, heck with it. Let the batters just let the batters do what they want and hit 240. And what's going to raise their point to maybe 10 points at 250? So the heck with the, the basics of baseball. The heck with it. 
Let the he let the hitters do just go up there and free swing and pull every pitch. That's okay with you. I, I think you're uh, overstating what I'm stating. Um, I don't. Think so. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying it's the reality. The reality well, is well, that that these reality, guys don't hit that way, and they haven't. Is, and they haven't adapted. Is, the reality is, you adapt and you get better in anything in life. And what you're saying is, that not only have we changed the baseball, uh, the the weights and things like that. We've brought in the fences. We've lowered the mound. We've hired the mound. We've done everything possible to help the offense. So, you know, let's just do this too. Let's say, okay, what, why don't we take uh, uh, players and, and move them in certain spots that we know he will not hit to and, or he will hit to, let's just take the player away from there. Let's make the baseballs bigger so that they can hit the ball better. I mean, see to me, doc, what you're saying, and I'm surprised that you're on board with this is that let's change the game. Let's change the way the game is played because we feel bad for the hitters because they just can't do it. Mm-mm. And, and see, to see, me, you're, mis- you're misunderstanding my point. The game changed. When baseball was invented, when baseball started to play up until, and, and I, know, I know the Lou Boudreaux shift and the Ted Williams thing and all that, that was used basically for Ted Williams. It was not used right. for every single batter. So, so if, you, if, if, if there was a way to say you can shift for one batter, maybe I wouldn't have a problem with it. But it, what it's and, done and, is it's become and, a shift for every single guy. Well, and that well, shift, can... listen, that shift is what changed the game. But what the you're teams leaving have out. positions and players where they're supposed to be, where traditionally they're supposed to be. And then that changed because of the leaving, technology. What you're leaving out, Doc, is that the hitters back then could hit the ball to all different fields. That's Most correct, but they can't play. anymore. What, so what happened? What Were they just that much better back then than they are today? No, this I think – what I'm saying. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead yep. Uh, pitchers today throw harder. So you have that much less time. To, to hit the ball. I mean, if, even 10, 15 years ago, if you said there's a prospect and he's throwing in the low 90s, he's like a big-time prospect. Now the worst pitchers throw in the mid-90s or the low 90s, well, right? Well, like every, I, everybody's throwing faster. There's more I'm relief correct, pitchers. If I'm correct, so, it's a lot easier to swing late and go to the other field if the ball is thrown that fast, correct? It's harder to pull if it's thrown faster. I, I don't know if the statistics – I think that I think for guys like us – who, who are playing uh, less than professional baseball, but I think the idea of a fast pitch is uh, players probably pull them more often. They can hit, they can hit fastballs. What I'm saying is they don't have the ability to adapt. They have not shown as a collection of professionals, an ability to adapt. I always said up until recently, you know what? The players, the batters ought to learn how to hit against the shift and bunt and things like that, except it didn't happen. And it's never happened. And the shift has become more and more prevalent. And it's really what it's done is it's taken the enjoyment out of watching a game because you see a guy hit a natural single to right field as a left-handed hitter, and it's a ground out. And that just becomes unfun. I I think we've all played in softball leagues where that kind of stuff happens. Where God gives him more fun if he hits it to the opposite field, a little ground ball. But he doesn't. That's my point. He doesn't. You know, he can learn. That's if if they can't learn. pitch. They don't have to. Even a hard bunt goes. The problem is the problem is Doc. They don't have to. They don't have to learn because they don't make them learn. 
because they have free will to do whatever they want. Listen, if I'm a manager of a team or if I'm a, a GM of a team and I say, listen, you got to start learning to hit the ball left left field or you're off the team because you're batting 190, then maybe they would start learning how to do that. But they they pay Joe Gallo, Gallo uh, $10 million, $20, $20 million a year to pull the ball and get out. So if you stop paying these guys that much money to be out, then maybe they start learning how to hit the ball the other way. I just, right, so I just don't, I don't see, I don't see rewarding somebody or making it easier for somebody when it's when to me, if you're a professional at anything, that means you're the best at this. And if you're the best at hitting, you should be able to go to the opposite field. You should be able to hit the ball up the middle. You should be able to bunt. You should be able to pull the ball when you have to. And you should be able to hit the ball hard when you have to. Not not 100% of the time, but a good majority of the time. What we're saying to the batters is, ah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about being a professional hitter. Just do what you're doing, and, 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 we'll, and, and, we'll, and we'll stop you know, playing a defense against you. As I said, why not make the baseballs bigger too? That would help them out. Why not? The fact of the matter is that the players, all these professional players, have not been able to adapt to the shift. And the technology has made it so that the teams don't even have to pay, give a hat tip or pay any homage or, or any reasonableness to, to putting players on the other side of the field because the players have not been able to adapt. It, that's and just the reality. The and so sometimes a sport, we, we can say they're the best and they are the best. And the fact is that the best players in the world can't seem to learn how to hit against the shift. And what it's done is it's taken a lot, at least for me, a lot of the enjoyment out of the game when things that look like they should be hits, when players are actually doing what they should do, hitting a line drive up the middle and it's a line out to the shortstop on the other side of second base. It, 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 it takes the natural ebb and flow away from the game, not because the players aren't any good and not because the other team's any good, but because there's some stat guy in a booth somewhere who says that Mark Teixeira, when he comes up, hits the ball 13 and a half feet off of second base into the shallow right center field 93% of the time. So put a guy there. And with that, so that, so then something that traditionally through the history of the sport would always be a hit is now an out. And they do that for every single player, which makes the game for me less enjoyable because it, it just, there's a base hit. He did the right thing. No, he didn't because they put a guy there who really shouldn't be there. When the game was designed, they didn't design it to have people moving all over the field like that. You had your players in their positions. What I'm really saying is the, the game should look more traditional. Than it than it does. Doc, let me play devil's advocate. You're, you're pointing to analytics. Let's make believe there's a, a pitcher who throws a hundred miles plus per hour, mm-hmm. and the analytics show when he's throwing that quick, the hitters get on base five percent of the time. I'm just throwing a number out for fun. Uh, should we put a cap on how many fastballs he's allowed to throw? No, because they, the hitters can't possibly be successful against a flamethrower, like a Randy Johnson type. So now if he throws over 100 miles per hour more than 20% of the time, we, don't, we count it as a ball automatically. That's, you know, we could... You know, know, let, let me ask you this. Let's, let's go really to another, let's go to another sport. I'm playing let, devil's advocate. I don't believe yeah, that. Yeah. Correct. But let, let, let's look at another sport. Football. What does football do at the end of every season? 
they look at the way the game is played. And I don't really like that they do this and change the rules every year, but they look at the way the game is played and they say, you know what? The, the, the penalty we're giving for something like pass interference is not uh, a deterrent enough. So what we have to do is we have to change the way the game is played because it's not becoming, it, it, it's even though they're playing the right way, the players have learned a way to beat the system. And that's what the shift is. It's beating the natural flow and ebb and tot and roll of the game because the managers and the, the, the general managers and the statisticians have found ways to beat the system and take the natural ebb and flow away from baseball by moving players into spots where they don't belong. And I don't like it. So I've always hated the shift. I don't like the shift. Uh, I've always thought, though, that the batters should adapt and beat the shift. But the proof is they can't and they haven't. And so then you have to change the way uh, you look at the game. And one way to do it is to say, let's not stack guys on one side or the other of the field so that hits that look like hits should be hits again. Well, let me ask you a question. And I'm not, I'm not saying you're making a point. You're not making a point, Doc. Uh, you are. But let's bring up the bunt. Joe Berger, Joe Bergman, uh, uh, Bergman says this, and I agree with him. So you have a, a shift on. You have a power hitter up. Why can't he butt the ball? That's a great question. But they yeah. haven't. The, the point well, is I, they haven't. But Doc, you just say they haven't. It's like saying, okay, well, we have a quarterback that can't throw to the left side of the, of, of the field, so we're not going to throw to the left side of the field. You're and excusing incompetence, Doc. You're excusing you, you know, that. You know, I, I Doc, I do understand what you're saying. I do. I do understand what you're saying. Because let's, let's look at this part of it. Just as there's statistics that point to um, putting player X and location X on the field, those same teams all have the same statistics that if Robbie Cano comes up or whomever it is, because Robbie Cano once did lay down a bunt and get a double out of it against the shift a number of years ago, whoever it is, they have the statistics that say, it's still not worth it for him to lay down that bunt because of whatever metrics they're using. Because if it was, if it did make statistical sense, the smart teams would have been doing this. The Tampa Bay Rays would do it all the time. The Joe Madden type teams would be doing it all the time. The fact that they haven't, we can bemoan the fact that they don't bunt. We can bemoan the fact that they don't hit against the shift. But the fact is, they're not hitting against the shift, and yeah, they're not hitting bunting, and there's a reason for it because they have the because, analytics. Just because, and the heck with analytics, just because they don't don't want to, doesn't make it right. I, it still doesn't make it right. If I got a guy that doesn't want to block, I don't say, "Oh, don't worry about it." You learn to block right. I mean, to me, I understand your point, and I understand that that that, that this is made the game a lot more boring. I get it. But to me, you're making a lot of excuses saying they can't. What do you mean they can't? There's no such thing as can't. You say they're the best hitters in the world? I guess they're not. I guess they're not. There's no more There's there's no more out there like a Suzuki that can hit like that? Nobody can do that anymore? Like Rod Carew? Nobody can do that no more. Is that what you're telling me? I'm telling you, if you are, do that. If you are then they're not the greatest. They're not the greatest hitters in the world. Sorry, I disagree with you there, but I do understand what you're saying about the shifts. Well, they, they're the greatest hitters in the world right now. I I I don't think so. 
I don't well, think because so. if there was somebody that could hit the other way and beat the shift, he'd be playing major league baseball, but he's not. Maybe, maybe if they let him in, maybe, maybe they well, would. They would let him in. There's not a team uh, in the I, world that I, wouldn't I, take I, a guy I, who could I, hit the other way like Ichiro and not and not sign him. They wouldn't. Uh, every every team uh, would you sign know, him. I, I don't know, Doc. I don't know what their their motives are. I, I mean, I know they I, I don't know what major league baseball's motives are anymore. I don't I don't necessarily I, I, I know that there's a lot of great minor league, league ball players that they won't let come up. I do know that. You know, Doc, the next thing they're going to outlaw the walk in a lot of situations. Let's say you have Mike Trout, who's having a great, great year, triple crown type year. The analytics might show, even if he's the leadoff hitter, or let's say he's the second hitter of the inning and there's one out. The analytics might show it's better just to give him an intentional walk and put him on first base. You know, that's what, they, or, or let's say there's a run on third base. That would be a better situation. And there's one out. The analytics might show it's better to walk Mike Trout and just put him on first. What does that do for the integrity of the game? That That's never been proposed, though. We're, we're, we're throwing up they ideas. Did walk, that... They did walk uh, Barry Bonds. Okay? Right, but nobody's they, ever said you're going to outlaw the intentional walk. had an 8-6 lead with two outs in the ninth inning, and they walked them to make it 8-7 and keep the bases loaded. So what does that do for the integrity of the game? I don't understand what that has to do with the shift. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying rule changes. You keep accommodating city. You're, you're talking basically, and I see where you're coming from, accommodating a situation, a reality, that guys just can't hit against the shift. Matt's argument is they should learn to hit against the shift. You're giving them an excuse not to. They're professional hitters. They should adapt to it, work on it. And now, as long as you outlaw the ship, there's no reason for them to learn how to hit to the opposite field. They weren't anyway. A legitimate big league hitter who should learn to hit to all fields. They weren't anyway, Jack, because guess what? A guy that bats 190 or 200 can still make $10 million a year. There's no incentive to make them learn how to hit against the shift anymore. There's no incentive anymore. If you're a 220 hitter, you can still make $20 million a year. So why why, why would they learn? I, they don't have to. They don't have to learn to butt anymore. They don't have to learn. They're still going to get their money. They're still going to start. Why should they have to? That's it the problem. It depends on the player, the situation, how good he is defensively. That, a lot of other factors. To me, Jack. If he has 190, he's not going to be in the big leagues for long unless he does a lot of other things. Hashtag good. Gary Sanchez. Let me, let me tell you what I'm saying. The point I'm trying to make, Jack, is there's really no incentive to hit the ball the other way, to do a bunt anymore. That's the problem, I think. If you're just going to pay guys that hit 220, $20 million a year because they hit 20 home runs and they're a good defensive player, what's the incentive to learn how to hit against but, 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 but let me let me let me ask you guys this, okay? I see where you're coming from, Mac. We mentioned two names during this discussion, Mark Teixeira and Joey Gallo. How many guys are actually like that? Most guys do hit to the opposite field now and then, okay? I mean, uh, what percentage would you say just don't hit to the opposite field? Like Joey Gallo's an extreme case. This affects him. But how many other guys in the Yankees does it greatly affect? I think it affects a lot of players, and I think that's what uh, – Sometimes when you have these these arguments or debates or discussions without the facts, which is what none of us have, we don't have all that data in front of us. Um, it's 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 easy to just draw large scale conclusions. 
to say that every player isn't going to learn to hit the opposite field, I think is an overreach because when there was no shift, when the, the shift wasn't used all the time on every batter, on every play and on every pitch, there were still players who hit the opposite field. Wade Boggs, Rod Carew. I mean, you started naming a whole bunch of them. Um, Ichiro Suzuki. There were players that used the whole field and there were players that primarily pulled the ball. What happened is with the statistics, they've been able to pinpoint so with such precision where the guy's going to hit the ball that they've taken the natural ebb and flow away from the game. I don't like the shift. I wish that they didn't ever have the shift. Um, I don't like when you outlaw stuff in baseball because I think it radically changes the game. But the shift, because of the analytics that they have and the computer-generated uh, ideas of where exactly to go on the field, I think the shift itself is used so predominantly that it's radically changed the game. And sometimes when a league sees that that's happening, they have to make adaptations to shift the game back to the way it's been played traditionally. And I think well, that's what they're trying to I, do. I got, I got one more comment, and, and, and Joe says something here that I want to comment on before we push on a little bit. Uh, the incentive is there's a guy in the minors that can do better. You may be out of a job. That is not 100% true anymore. They keep them down on purpose. And I don't care if you're ready to play or not. They will keep them down. A lot of clubs, I won't say all, but a lot of clubs will keep them down as long as they can so that they don't have to uh, meet certain pay standards. Yeah, but uh, I think that's I think that's all been part of that's been worked through. With this, I, I, think so I think so, Doc, to a point. But there's still incentives to keep players down as long as you can. Uh, you know, there is still I know there's still time time periods in there and it has been worked on a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's it's not easy to break into the major league. you got to be you, you got to be outstanding to give it a shot. And depending on what farm system you have, there's a lot of things that go into that. The problem, the only problem I see, Doc, is there's really no incentive anymore to learn how to hit the ball correctly when you're getting paid at hitting 220. And that's that's my only problem with that. There's no incentive to bunt anymore. And that takes away from the game to me. And and that's the hitter's fault. And I understand what you're saying. It has slowed the game down. It has made it less interesting. But if we keep giving the offense all of these, all these advantages, I, I mean, what are you doing to the game itself? It's supposed to uh, uh, be a, a, a defensive offensive game. It's not just a, be, supposed to be an offensive game. And, if you continue to do this, and it's going to happen again, they're going to there's going to be something else coming along where they're going to try and, and improve the offense. And if you're going to try to speed the game up, also this is what we're saying: the more base hits you have, uh, the longer the game's going to go. Also, right? I mean, if you're not striking out as much, if you're not flying out as much, the game is going to get longer just naturally. So I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. I'm just I'm just saying a point of view. But, I, you know, I just don't like them changing the game. Uh, what rule changes, guys, do you think they should have made? I'm going to tell you a couple I think they shouldn't have made. One, the batter can still get out of the box as many times almost as he wants. I haven't seen any change in that. I think that should be changed, too. I don't think after every pitch that he should be allowed to come out and fix everything and get back in and, and do that. I think that should have been changed, too. I also think that the amount of relievers 
you can you can use. I don't I don't think they addressed that in the contract. I think that should be limited too. I think that has changed the game and slowed it down a lot too. Where we had two relievers, maybe three at the most. Now you have five or six during a game coming in. And every course, every time you change a reliever, not only does it slow down the game, but it also changes the flow of the game, Doc. Like you're arguing right now, if you got that fresh arm coming in every inning, it's a lot, a lot harder to hit a, a pitcher once that happens, unless you're going up against a dominant pitcher. Those are two other changes I would have loved to see been made. What do you think, Jack? Any rule changes that you would have loved to see? No, I don't think they did anything so drastic. I mean, the, I wish they hadn't made the rule change with the base making it bigger, unless it is a serious safety issue, and the research doesn't quite show that, uh, because now that's going to affect the way players slide. Okay, the timing of the slide doesn't have to be as right as before. The timing could be off, and they'll have a bigger base to grab. So it kind of adds a little bit to sloppy base running in a sense by making the base bigger. and uh, But I think it's much to do about nothing for the most part, these rule changes. They're not going to affect the game, I don't think, a great deal, with the possible exception, of course, what we talked about, the shift. I like the pitch clock because that's going to speed the game up a little. You know, I mentioned something of a rule change. I maybe wouldn't have minded seeing if both of you guys are going to hate it. I might put a cap on the amount of foul balls a hitter's allowed to hit before calling them out. That makes the game go on forever. I mean, if a guy, maybe I give him when he has two strikes, two foul balls to hit, and after that, you hit a third foul ball, you're out of there, something along those lines. Okay. What do you think, Doc? Any rule changes you would have loved to see it happen? No. I, I, uh, I, I'm quite happy that they brought the Na the DH to the National League that was the thing i was hoping yeah i mean i mean that's going to that's going to i think make the National League a little bit more exciting too uh when it comes to offense well i will say this about the pitchers you guys were mentioning before unless i misheard that pitchers don't hit that much on the way up but they hit a lot when they're in high school they hit you know in college a lot in the minor leagues and then they get up to the big leagues with the DH and they don't hit. And sometimes, you know, you have a really good hitting pitcher who's going to be better, you know, than some of the other guys. Like Jacob DeGrom, you put a bat in his hand. I mean, he's pretty darn good. I mean, if you let him hit full time, the guy might hit 240, 250, but he has a full time hitter. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I know I know there were a lot of pitchers, as you said, Jack, that hit in high school and stuff. And they once they hit the minor leagues, they, they stopped them from hitting. Because they want them just to concentrate on pitch. I'm I'm trying to think of the um. I'm trying to remember the pitcher that he became a hitter. He was a first baseman, pretty really good first baseman too. I think he played for the Mets. Dontrell Willis was it? No, no. What's it? Was it was a Rich really, Ankeel? No, um, I can't remember. I think he played for the Mets for a brief time. That wasn't his his original team. But he was a pitcher slash hitter, and he was such a good hitter, they moved him to first. But he was also a real good pitcher. And I can't remember the name. He was they would when they were talking about uh uh Oshano, uh uh they, they uh the, the California uh the California hitter pitcher. When they were talking about him, they talked about this guy too. I wish I could remember his name. I got a, a mental block on it. But he's a real tall lefty hitter that did pull the ball a lot too, but he could go the other way. 
Uh, that he was a he was a great pitcher and a great hitter, and he decided to uh, switch over to first base. And he could have he thought he could have uh, been you know been a, a pitching hitter also. But anyway, he also hit a, a pitch at Don Wilson, a pretty good pitcher. You know, decades ago was a top of the line hitter. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, pitch so, for the Astros, right, Don Wilson? Yeah, I think it was with the Tigers too, if I'm not mistaken. If you could look that up, I mean, I'm looking them up right now. You're the Mac and Jack statistician. Jeff Jeff uses you as a, a, assistant producer too. While well, on the show, when we're on the air, when we're on the air, we need a quick stat here. Yes, yes. So anyway, uh, interesting debate. I mean, there's a lot of different points of views on that. I'm I'm just glad they got it all together and they're starting to play now and. And let's do a little baseball. I'm glad to see it's back right now. And, hey, here, uh, here's your update on Don Wilson. He played from 1966 with the Astros to 1974. Uh, his lifetime batting average, 146. I'm so wrong about did he did he hit any homers anything? Why did I mention Don? He, he, I don't know, but he had one home run in 1968. Oh, forget it. I uh, <laughs> fell flat on that one. Don Wilson. Where did I get that from? I, I had to be thinking. Oh, Somebody else. My, no excuses. I blow it. That's right. That's right. Hey, 198. Oh, 198. You might, if you could play catcher, you might start. Did he pitch games. for the Padres after you sing Houston? Just Houston. That was his whole career? You think somebody on the Padres? Yeah. Folks, while they're looking that up, we're going to take our first break today. We'll be back on the other side as we start our debate. So stick with us. We got a lot of lot of topics today, a lot of interesting topics. So if you stick around, be back, stay with the show. And of course, we always want your comments. We'll be right. I'm back. gonna shift to the kitchen to get a drink. <laughs> you know, that's a good place. I wish I could shift right now, too. But you might get I, blocked by someone in your household. You'll have to go around. You'll have to learn yes. another path. I'm gonna have to learn a different way to go. Yeah, yeah. The analytics might show that, Doc. We'll be right back after these questions. You worked too hard, you ate too much, the cheesecake made you greedy. Like your aching gut and stomach, hear this message from old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Oh, Speedy Bubbles, relieve your upset stomach and headache fast. For acid indigestion alone, Alka-Seltzer Gold. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. I heard you want to be a Frito Bandido like me. You do? Then you must sing the Bandido song. Let's sing together. You just follow the bouncy Frito's corn chips bag. Ay, 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 ay. I am the Frito Bandido. Baby. I like Frito's corn chips. I love them, I do. I want Frito's corn chips. I'll get them from you. Ay, 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 ay. Oh, I am the Frito Bandido. 
This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. You're listening to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports. Hey, 
Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Debate Show. I'm your host, Mac, and your co-host, Jack Hirsch, and Dr. Paul, as we, again, uh, and turn it into a spirit of debate. I, I like that. As we that was started. good. That was a good discussion. As, as we went over the new rule changes in Major League Baseball. But, folks, this is the part you all wait for as we uh, go ahead and really start our debate. Every Saturday, folks, we have a bunch of topics that we go over. Sometimes we uh, we get a little rambunctious. Sometimes we agree uh, on certain subjects uh, because of of the the uh, I guess the common sense of the topic itself. Um, but there's a lot of different reasons that we disagree and agree, and sometimes. We might even say something that we don't agree with, just a debate. So it's, it's, it's fun to do. Uh, the first topic we're going to go on over is Paul O'Neill. Paul O'Neill's number is going to be retired. Paul O'Neill played for both the Reds and Yankees. He had some tremendous years with the Yankees. I think he led the, the league in batting average one year as a Yankee. He was in a few World Series with them, if I'm not mistaken, at least two I know of. Um, and, he, and he did really well there, too. But the – the uh, the actual uh, aspect of his retiring his number uh, up there with some of the other great Yankees uh, and, and in spite of some other great Yankees that haven't been retired yet is a question that, you know, that we're all going to discuss here. And Jack goes first. Paul, uh, what do you think about Paul O'Neill, Jack? I mean, I love Paul O'Neill, but the answer is heck no, his number shouldn't be retired. No one's number should be retired unless they're an immortal and, you know, I, I didn't fully realize it. I knew it. But, you know, you kind of forget about it. That 23 Yankee, Yankees have had their numbers retired. And out of the 23, more than half of them shouldn't have had their numbers retired. Listen, it should be an immortal. Babe Ruth, his number should be retired. We agree on that, all of us, I'm sure. Lou Gehrig, his number should be retired. Joe DiMaggio. His number should be retired. Mickey Mantle, his number should be retired. Derek Jeter, fine, his number should be retired. Mariano Rivera, sure, his number should be retired. Bill Dickey going way back, okay. But let's stop there. Don't tell me about Jorge Posada, who I love, Bernie Williams, who I love, and now Paul O'Neill. Come on, Paul O'Neill? Paul O'Neill is not even close to going to Cooperstown. I know George Steinbrenner loved him. He was a George Steinbrenner favorite. Maybe that has something to do with it. But to, to retire these numbers the way we are, you know, if I'm Aaron Judge's agent, what I'm going to throw in, if Aaron Judge signs with the Yankees, six-year deal, it's got to be under the condition the sweetener has to be that if he finishes his career with the Yankees or finishes out his full contract with the Yankees, his number's got to be retired. That's going to be a negotiating point for me if I'm an agent. At the very least, if I'm going to give in, no one can ever use his number again. This is Paul O'Neill, a wonderful player. Wonderful. Let me tell you something. If this were, let's say, the Kansas City Royals, 
and Paul O'Neill made the same contribution. I can understand it. I could understand some of the other major league teams, but this is the New York Yankees. You only should retire numbers of legendary players. Listen, I love Donnie Mattingly. It's debatable whether his number should have been retired. Debatable. You know, he was from a different era. So maybe you could base it a guy was from a certain era where they didn't have the great players and he was great. So maybe you want to base it on that. Uh, by the way, Mac, Paul O'Neill played in five World Series for the Yankees where they won four. Uh, well, six. Yeah, five World Series. They won four out of the five. Okay. Uh, but still, you know, great Yankee. Wonderful Yankee. But you don't retire his number. Listen, the Mets are retiring Keith Hernandez's number. That's understood. I'm fine with that. The Mets don't have as great a history as the Yankees. 23 numbers retired by the Yankees so far. I mean, is it going to keep going up and up and up? Uh, you know, give them a monument. Give them a you know, place in Monument Park, which Paul O'Neill has. And that's enough of an honor. That's a great honor to be in Monument Park. I'm fully against, you know, his number retired. It should only be for mortals. What do you think, Doc? All right. So um, I agree with Jack. Paul O'Neill was a very, very, very good player. He had some great years with the Yankees. He was a winner. But Paul O'Neill is not an immortal. And the Yankees uh, retiring his number just... It, it, it almost lessens the idea of, of retiring numbers. And what bothers me the most is they keep retiring the numbers of these recent guys, Posada, Bernie Williams, Paul O'Neill. Love them all. That It's nothing to do with not respecting the player or not loving the player. But there were other guys who played who were superior to them who don't have their numbers retired. Um, you know, I've, I've written extensively about Greg Nettles. Greg Nettles is probably the greatest third baseman the Yankees have, have ever had. Uh, you might want to say A-Rod's got better numbers or whatever nowadays or, and all that. Fair enough. But but outside of A-Rod then, the greatest third baseman the Yankees ever had. Nettles isn't even in Monument Park. And, and here's the thing about Nettles. You know how easy it would be to retire his number? It's already retired. They retired it for Roger Maris, who probably shouldn't have had his number retired. But it was number nine. So all you have to do is, is call Greg Nettles up and say, we're going to fly you to New York, and we're going to put you on the field before a game and say, Greg Nettles, your number's also retired. But Nettles uh, doesn't have his number retired, and he was a vastly superior player, I think, to Paul O'Neill. I think Nettles is eventually going to get in the Hall of Fame. I don't think Paul O'Neill's ever getting in the Hall of Fame. But when And so when we do this, we forget about guys who were superior you, and I made this point on, on the Bronx Beat podcast a couple weeks ago. If you want to retire the number of a Yankee right fielder who won a lot of World Series, the Yankees have a guy. Again, it would be easy to retire his number. His name was Hank Bauer. Hank Bauer was a better player than Paul O'Neill. Hank Bauer also wore number nine. All you have to do is have a ceremony and say, Hank Bauer's number is now retired. Let's recognize some great Yankees. But nobody remembers Hank Bauer. They're going to remember Paul O'Neill because they now retired his number, which is great for Paul O'Neill, but they're still never going to remember Hank Bauer. Or if you're going to retire Paul O'Neill's number 21, at least say, you know what, we're, we are going to retire number 21. And the Yankees have had a history of great players who have worn number 21, including the guy who holds the highest winning percentage in Yankees history for anyone who's won more than 50 games as a starting pitcher and a former MVP, Spud Chandler. 
He also wore 21. So if you're going to say, like, we're going to recognize O'Neal, fine. Let's also recognize some of the guys from the past who also wore those numbers. And, and of course, there's another, you know, like Roy White, his number's not retired. Roy White was a Yankee great for a long, long time, longer than Paul O'Neill. So 15 years. it just seems, yeah, it just seems arbitrary. And it just seems like a marketing thing, which, okay. But, but I think you made the great point, Jack. More than half of the guys who the Yankees have retired their numbers for weren't necessarily all-time greats. You know, and then there, there are all-time greats who they didn't retire numbers for. So it's very inconsistent. Before Matt goes, I mean, just one quick thing that you brought up the point about old-time Yankees. There's a way to honor them big time. A guy like Roy White, 15 years, he came to the Yankees when they hit their decline from being a dynasty as a rookie. And he ended up his career when they were back basically on top, a couple of World Series winners. And give them a spot in Monument Park. They don't do that for these guys. It's like the Yankee teams of the 70s, you know, that won the World Series, you know, with the exception of Thurman Munson, they're basically forgotten. I mean, have the Yankees retired Goose Gossage's number? I forgot. I don't think, you know, no, no, because Chapman, no, Chapman's but, he's not, but he wouldn't be an immortal Yankee, even though he's in Cooperstown as a Yankee. But a guy like Roy White was a pure Yankee through and through. That's That was his only team, 15-year, a, a really good, good career for 15 years. And he doesn't have a place in Monument Park. And Greg Nettles, it's nearly criminal, you know, the way he's been treated. Right. So so I have no problem putting a Paul O'Neill in Monument Park. And I think that's the answer. You don't have to retire their numbers to recognize them. So put Paul O'Neill in Monument thing. Park. Put, put Greg Nettles in Monument Hall Park. Of fame. What's that? Right. Put, make a team's Hall of Fame. Put them in a team's Hall of Fame. And I'm good with that. But to retire number, that's got to be a legendary player in my view to have a number retired. A, a legendary player or, or a player who outside of being legendary did something or something happened that, 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 that you're honoring him like Ellie Howard, the first African-American Yankee. Sure. That, that makes sense. Thurman Munson who died in a plane crash. Yeah. Okay. Let's honor that. He was the captain. He was Thurman Munson and let, let's honor. We're not going to let anybody wear that number. I'm, I'm okay with those kind of, of, of exceptions. Well, let me get in here real quick. You know how I feel, doc. I wrote a piece for a search pretty news about this. Uh, about retiring Paul O'Neill, incredible player. I mean, he had incredible uh, uh, run with the Yankees, and he was good with the Reds too. Pretty good defensive player, great hitter, um, great leader. I mean, he was a great ball player. But I agree with both of you. I, you know, this should be reserved. <clears throat> I was reading where there's only been one player since he retired that wore his number and changed it because. Uh, right away, and, uh, and let me see if I can get the guy's name. Troy Hawkins, and he he, he changed right away because of the backlash of uh, of wearing his number. So it's never been issued since he's left uh, the Yankees and he's retired. And I think it is a lot to do with marketing. You know, Paul O'Neill is still with the Yankees doing pregame and postgame. He's on Yes Network. I mean, he's he's a, a very uh, popular popular Yankee, and uh, I hope that's not why they're doing it. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if Phil Rizzuto's numbers retired. I don't. I'm not sure. I mean, you probably would. Yeah. I mean, Phil Rizzuto. I don't know if he's an immortal either. I mean, he was a great shortstop and deserves to be a Monument Park. I don't know if his number should be retired or not. Joe Torres' numbers retired. He wasn't a player for the Yankees. His number shouldn't be retired. Casey Stengel too. Casey Stengel, same way. 
So, so I, I agree with both of you here. I don't think his number should be retired. They should honor him in some way. Uh, the, the plaque in the park is great or, a, or, a, a, you know, a, a, a day for him or something would be great. But when you have uh, Yankees that have played in the past that have been greater Yankees, and to me that's the key too, they, they were greater Yankees than he was and their numbers aren't retired yet, uh, there's something wrong with that. So, um, you know, maybe it's a more of a popularity contest now than it used to be. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I agree. I don't think Roger Maris's number should be retired either. Um, he's, uh, he's uh, you know, he, a plaque, yeah, I guess. Why not? Uh, great Yankee, too, when he played there. But the home run record, I mean, you got to give him some kind of some kind of what, you know, what for for that. But, uh, yeah, I agree with both of you. I don't think his number should be retired either. So uh, we kind of all agree on that. So let's talk about a really interesting one here. We have – you know, we did the best siblings team uh, last week in history. You know, we had the Williams sisters, the Klitschko brothers. Um, I'm trying to remember, Docky, what you had the DiMaggio brothers, all three of them in there. And uh, they all had valid, valid reasons. Now we're doing the best father and son duo in the history of sports. I get to go first. And the first thing that popped in my head, of course, was the Manning, you know, Archie and Peyton. And then, I, you know, I, I kind of thought a little bit about, you know, if you want to consider auto racing a sport, you know, you had Lee Petty and Richard Petty, two of the greatest race, race drive, race drive car, uh, car drivers in the history of auto racing. Um, there's a lot of them uh, to consider, the Griffey father and son and everything. Then I went back to the, to the Manning, and I'm kind of taking the, 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 the avenue that Doc took. Not only is there Archie Manning and Peyton Manning, you got to throw Eli in there too. That's four Super Bowls between both of them. And Archie Manning gets not enough credit for how great a quarterback he was. He was one of the Heisman finalists. Him, Jim Plunkett, uh, Joe Theismann was involved in the Heisman uh, Trophy Awards. Um, Joe Theismann ended up going to Canada because he didn't want to go to one of the teams that were going to draft him. He later got tra drafted, got the rights by the Redskins, ended up going to two Super Bowls because he was on a good team. Jim Plunkett went to the Patriots, and he ended up moving on to the Raiders eventually, and he won two Super Bowls. So they didn't stay with the same team. But Archie Manning did for the most part. He finished it off, I think, with the Oilers. I'm not 100% sure, but I know he finished up his last couple seasons uh, with another team. This guy played on the worst team in football. He uh, he ran around like a nut. He got sacked 100 million times. But he still got NFC uh, Player of the Year for one year when he was 7-9 and nine with the Saints. Great athlete, great quarterback on a terrible, terrible team. But one of the greatest college quarterbacks ever to play the game. Peyton Manning, easily one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of football. Eli, maybe not one of the greatest, but he's up there in the top 10 if you look at yardage, and he did win two Super Bowls. So I'm going to take Archie Manning and his two sons, uh, Peyton and Eli. He's got a grandson ready to go to the NFL soon too, but we're not counting that. So I took the Manning family. Uh, Doc, who do you got? Yeah, great question. I'm going to take Tom Brady and whatever, whatever his children do. No, I'm kidding. Uh the people I picked were Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonds. 
I think Bobby Bonds's career, which, you know, even looking at it today, doesn't look as great as it was. He was a tremendous baseball player. Absolutely tremendous. The people who played at the era with Bobby Bonds, especially when he was uh, with the San Francisco Giants, couldn't say enough about him. He was like one of the five tool players. He could hit, he could hit for average, he could throw, he could run, he could field, and he could do everything exceptionally well. And he was a superstar. And then his career sort of became, he got traded all the time. People overvalued the negative impact of strikeouts and he struck out a lot. And they felt so he was fast, so they didn't quite know what to do with him. So they thought he should be a leadoff hitter, but he hit too much home, too many home runs. So they made him a number four hitter, and then he struck out too much. And and his career sort of never quite got to be the all-time great that everybody thought he could be. But he was still a great, great, great player. And then, of course, you, Barry Bonds. You, Doc, do you think Bobby is a borderline Hall of Famer? I do. Mm. I, I think I think he comes underneath. I could look up his, his overall numbers. I, I think he's close. Yeah, I, he's, he's got close. better numbers than guys in there. There's no doubt yeah. about that. And I just said about Bobby Bonds, he contributed indirectly to the Yankees winning a couple of World Series. That's in correct. And he's, football talks about the Herschel Walker trade, but the Yankees had uh, Bobby Bonds for a year, and they traded him to Ed Figueroa, who was a great pitcher for the Yankees for you know a little amount of time, and Mickey Rivers, of course. Yeah. So uh, yeah. that was a great deal that propelled the Yankees into position, you know, for the World Series appearances. And and then, of course, Barry Bonds is one of, we have to absent the steroids because if you want to just discount his whole career or whatever, but even before then, he he was among the great players of all time. So um, Joe's asking about the Griffies. I, I thought about the Griffies, but, but I think Bobby Bonds was a better player than Ken Griffey Sr. And I think Barry Bonds is a better player than Ken Griffey Jr. That's so cool. my, my, my guess is the bond, my, my yeah. pick is the Bonds. Yeah. It's good. Good pick. What do you think, Jack? You know, I'm waiting for Tiger Woods' son to grow up because the way he is going in golf right now, I mean, you know, 10 years from now, we might be saying Tiger Woods and son. But uh, it's hard to compare a pit sport against sport. I don't know much about auto racing. So maybe that's the answer with the Andrade's. Uh, it's easier for me to shoot down Doc's argument than it is yours, Mac, because neither the Bonds in the Hall of Fame. Okay? And we could talk about all the great stats of Barry Bonds. You could call him the greatest player of all time. But the bottom line is 10 years being on the ballot for the Hall of Fame, he hasn't gotten inducted for whatever reason, okay? We know what the reason is, why. And they feel, the Hall of Fame voters, enough of them feel that he cheated. So that's got to take a little of the luster off him because of how they feel about it. And his dad, you're, you know, Doc's 100% correct, was an electrifying player a great player, but he obviously didn't quite sustain it long enough where he could be get into the Hall of Fame, even though Tom Seaver once said that Bobby Bonds was the best player in the National League. That's how good he was at the time. But they're not Hall of Famers, the Bonds. Okay, the Mannings, Archie Manning. Now, let me put down your argument, Doc. Archie Manning played for awful New Orleans Saints teams. They were terrible. If he played for good teams, he may have been another Roger Starback. People feel he was that good. But the point is we have to deal with reality, and he he didn't win. 
It, was it his fault? No, not directly. It was with awful teams. And it's what it is. Uh, Eli Manning, we are, you know, it's 50-50 whether he's going to be a Hall of Famer. That's oh, I think he is. But a lot of people feel he isn't. He had a 500 record. Okay, Peyton obviously is great. I'm going to give it my two names, and I'm going to another sport completely. Uh, it's Bobby and Brett Hall, NHL, hockey. Bobby and Brett Hall. Uh, Bobby Hall, the dad, played 23 years. Brett Hall played 20 years. Talk about longevity. Both of them are Hall of Famers. Uh, Bobby Hall got elected to the Hall of Fame in 1983. I remember when I was a kid, he was hockey's equivalent of Joe Namath. I would go to the old Madison Square Garden, watch a hockey game, and his slap shot was the talk of the hockey world. It was so quick. He was a first 50-goal scorer. He was a first-team NHL All-Star 10 times. It may have been 18 or 20 times, but because of a contract dispute, he went to the World Hockey League, a rival league where he lit it up. Uh, he was the first 50-goal scorer in the NHL. He was an MVP a couple of times on a Stanley Cup winner. Then his son, Brett Hall, his son, who we don't even think was quite as good as him, is fifth in NHL history for goals scored. Fifth, and he was a two-time Stanley Cup winner, and he was a first-team NHL All-Star three times, meaning there are only five positions outside of goalie to be a first-team All-Star. And he was that, and he had his 20-year career. They were absolute stars, a couple of, you know, the all-time greats in the NHL. With the Mannings, I have to admit it's close because when you combine Eli and Peyton and Doc's argument is excellent, had Barry Bonds not had the controversy, his numbers and his achievements were off the charts. So just based on what, you know, Barry Bonds accomplished, I can respect Doc's argument. You know, how he got there, that's the debate. And Bobby Bonds, if you want to look at peak value, only how he was at his absolute peak, you can make a good argument there. But bottom line is, Doc, sorry, the Bonds aren't in the Hall of Fame yet, and both of them have been eligible, and they haven't gotten there. So I'm going to take two Hall of Famers in the NHL over no Hall of Famers in baseball. And the Mannings, wow, that's a... That's a neck-and-neck neck argument, but I'm going to give it by a nose for the halls. Can you imagine if we did families and included Willie Mason with the Bonds? Holy good God. Huh? Uh, the Godfather. Oh, oh, now you're talking. Now that God. might be going to the lead if you could include, oh, you know, the say hey kids. That would be ridiculous. That would be ridiculous. Yeah, but then you're talking about cousins and the whole uh, – Oh, you know, the you know, the Dimaggio, no, no, it's father and son. Yeah, that, you know, yes. there haven't been that many great father and son teams in sports history because we're kind of in a way straining a little. Let me just say one thing about the Griffiths, okay, compared to the Bonds. Let's talk baseball now a little bit. Uh, Ken Griffey, if you consider that he supposedly did it the right way compared to, you know, Barry Bonds. You could argue he's ahead of Bonds based on that, you know. Now, Ken Griffey Jr., Barry Bonds is compelling because Barry Bonds at his peak was better. But I could argue that Ken Griffey Jr., Sr., is a more historical player, part of the big red machine. When we talk about the great teams in baseball history, 
Ken Griffey's name is always going to come up because after you get past the big four of Bench, Rose, Morgan, and Perez, Ken Griffey is in that category. He has a seat in that car, you know, too. Yeah, it's. I mean, there, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, more people in, in father and son that we haven't even talked about that have really uh, done really well in sports too. And you know, it's it's always a fun debate when you're debating who siblings or who father and son combinations are are better and why you think they're not and why you think they are. And uh, of course, it all comes down to a matter of opinion. Guys, we're going to take our last break for today. We're going to be back. We're going to talk a little bit about Jack's boy crush, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you know, does it hurt the Green Bay Packers uh, salary cap wise signing Aaron Rodgers to that mega deal? Um, yeah, I, you all who have listened uh, to our show know how I feel about Aaron Rodgers. I know he's uh, maybe top five quarterback of all time. Maybe I maybe I mean it's it, you could you could you could debate that. Uh, but uh, as a person or as a player or as a teammate, I don't like him at all. But we're going to get into the financial situation now. In the future, the Green Bay Packers, they signed one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now, an MVP, which the MVP uh, award makes no sense to me anyway. But anyways, uh, as I'm putting down Aaron Rodgers before we even start debating him, uh, we'll be right back, folks, after these messages. Here comes the king, here comes the big number one. But by the fear, the king is second to none. Just say, but wiser, you've said it all. Here comes the king of this, so let your glasses here be But wiser fear is the one that's leading the rest. And each foot aging makes it feel at its best. When you say, but one takes the probably think of shortness of breath, coughing, or inhalers. Lots of things can trigger asthma, but the fact is that asthma doesn't just attack, it can kill. But with proper medical management, asthma is controllable. If you experience shortness of breath, wheezing, tightness in your chest, or persistent nighttime coughing, you may have asthma. See your doctor and get the facts. You'll breathe easier. For more information, call 211 InfoLine. A message from the Connecticut Department of Public Health. Keeping Connecticut healthy.
Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Matt and Jack Sports Debate Show. We're here every Saturday, 8 to 10 a.m. Tomorrow, we'll have Mac and Jack this week in sports with guest host, the legendary Dallas Cowboy, two-time Super Bowl champion, Jim Chefcoat on with us as we review this week in sports. A couple quick announcements. Uh, of course, Jack and his Glove Fist program, YouTube and on Roku, will be on at 7 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, folks. One of the best boxing shows streaming today. Check it out. If you love boxing, you love the show, followed by our co-host here today on Start Spreading the News, Dr. Paul Simmendinger, a YouTube show that has been uh, just raking in the viewers. So uh, if you love the Yankees, you love Major League Baseball, they'll have a lot to talk about this this Monday with the, the uh, lockout being over. Check that out. It's a great show. A lot of information. I have a lot of guests this Monday. So, uh, Glove Fist, and then start spreading the news Monday night on YouTube. And Jack's show is also on Roku. So, check those out. We also, today, as it gets closer, our first live broadcast on the Roku channel, guys, where we'll be having live arm wrestling uh, from Philadelphia from y'all. Uh, for y'all, that that is really cool. I mean, if you ever been uh, uh, watched arm wrestling on on television, I love it when the smaller guys beat the holsters, and you don't think they have a chance, but they do. And that's Winter Blast that will be on the Roku channel starting at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Be going for about eight hours. So download the uh, the Roku app, Northeast Streaming Sports, and you'll be able to watch the live event as it happens. First live event, as I said, on on the Roku channel. So if you got a chance sometime today, guys, go over there and check it out. It should be a lot of fun. We'll have the Philly sports guy there live. So that's the updates. Back to the debate. And I think Doc is up next. And, of course, uh, we all know his love for Tom Brady. But he's talking about Aaron Rodgers, I hope, in this segment. So, Doc, do you think? Signing Aaron Rodgers to a $200 million mega contract for four years, $153 million guaranteed is going to hurt the Green Bay Packers. Yes, I I don't think it's a great deal. I think Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback. He obviously has won a number of MVPs. I think he's won the last two in a row. For whatever reason, the Packers can't seem to get it done in the playoffs. And I don't know if I attribute that, all of that, or part of that to Aaron Rodgers. Probably none of that because he's a great quarterback. And some of the most fun moments that I've ever watched in football are with Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback with those late game heroics. They're 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 awesome and fun and the the Hail Mary passes. It's just that 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 is like the best way for me to watch football. It's just fantastic. But this contract takes Rodgers through his age 39, 40, 41, and 42 years. And it looks like the because it's going to be so uh, 
valuable and such an expensive contract that the Packers have to then be committed to Aaron Rodgers being their quarterback for the next four years. And I know Brady has aged tremendously and did great right up through the end. I just don't think you can bank on, <clears throat> sorry about this, uh, you can bank on quarterbacks being great into their 40s. So my sense is, of course you want to keep him in Green Bay. He's a legend in Green Bay. He's a great quarterback. I just don't know that he's going to be a top-tier quarterback worth $50 million a year for the next four years. He might be next year, maybe the year after, but I just can't see the last couple of years of that contract doing any good for the Packers. Jack, what are your thoughts? I think, uh, yeah, it was a logical thing to do for the Packers. I mean, I don't think it hurts them. You know, the, I understand the point that Doc is making. It's a logical point. The quarterback's age 38. You give him a four-year deal to take him to age 42. But this is a player who the last two seasons has been the league MVP. He's not going to grow old, or, you know, all of a sudden. He's going to be good for about a, three more years, if not all four years, even if his performance slips a little. There's enough left there for him to perform on a level as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And, and you know, it happens with all the great ones. They decline, but they perform as well. The Muhammad Ali who knocked out George Foreman in Zaire, he wasn't as physically good as the younger Ali, yet he performed on a similar level. You know, the Packers had no choice in the matter. If they weren't going to blow Aaron Rodgers away with a massive offer, there's a good chance he would have gone elsewhere because there were a certain amount of hard feelings that I don't have to go over again that we all know about between Aaron Rodgers and the Packer organization. They had to make it up to him in the most firm way possible, giving him the best possible offer, showing him the most love to put the past behind them. Now, I know your philosophy, Doc. Ah, let him walk. The heck with him. He's being unreasonable. You let him walk. The Packers aren't the same team. They're no longer contenders. If they get someone like a Jimmy Garoppolo, he doesn't replace Aaron Rodgers. He's not as good. And let me tell you something about teams in general. You're in the hope business. Uh, Doc and myself and you, Mac, we're big Yankee fans. At least we have hope every season that they might be able to win the World Series. They haven't been there since 2009, but we're not bored with the team. Imagine it got to the point with the Yankees where we look at the rust and say, this team doesn't look like they're going to make the playoffs. It's going to be a long season. Baseball wouldn't be as enjoyable for us. At least we have hope every year, even though they haven't been getting it done. And that's the same way with the Packers. They're to football nearly what the Yankees are to baseball. They're storied franchise. They give their fan base tremendous hope with Aaron Rodgers there. And as far as the entertainment value goes, like Doc said, Aaron Rodgers is one of the more entertaining players in the NFL. If you know you, if you turn on the TV and there's a Packer game going, and you're not even a Packer fan, but you like football, you're more likely to keep the channel on to that game and watch a game that Aaron Rodgers is playing than if they just bring in any other quarterback. Well, first, first, Jack, um, any quarterback on a winning team could be the MVP of the league. 
uh, Dak Prescott could be the, could have been the MVP without him. Dallas wouldn't have gone nowhere. Uh, you could say that about any quarterback uh, that led their team to the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it, all of these guys. All of these guys. You could Joe Burrow. You could have said it about. Uh, uh, I mean, it's just it, it. That's just the normal thing about being a quarterback. Robert Butler made an interesting point on our show on a Sunday show. They said that any quarterback that takes up more than twenty percent of the team's salary, has never won a Super Bowl. Uh, Russell Wilson, before he got paid, won a Super Bowl. Uh, Tom Brady never took up more than 20% of the of the Patriots' pay, uh, salary. Or on Tampa Bay, he didn't do that either. Tom Brady took a salary cap. Uh, uh, he restructured his contract. He gave back money so they could get players. This is all going to be up to Aaron Rodgers, whether he restructures his, his contract or not, whether the Packers will go to the Super Bowl or not. And I disagree with you to the point. I think in that division, if you had a very good quarterback, the Packers would be the favorite to get in the playoffs and maybe a title contender. If you took Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert, if you took uh, easily Patrick Mahomes, if you took Joe Burrows, if you took uh, even Jimmy G, if he's healthy, they would probably win that division. So I really don't believe that with Aaron Rodgers there gives him a better chance to get in the playoffs. And once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. Aaron Rodgers' job is to elevate the team once they get to a certain point. He hasn't done that the last three times. Two times in the championship, once against San Francisco. I'm trying to remember the last one he was against, I think it was Tampa Bay. And then last year, he didn't even make it to the championship uh, to, to, to get in there. He didn't elevate his play enough to help the Packers get to the Super Bowl. Now, I love Aaron Rodgers as far as a quarterback goes. As a person, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is the type of person that will restructure his contract like Dak Prescott just did so that the Dallas Cowboys could re-sign and sign more players. I don't think he'll do that. And I think if he's taken up that much of the salary cap, unless the Packers are very draft very well, get players that can play right away, and can find some deals. I th I think the Packers won't make won't may may not make the championship win the championship in the next four years. When you take up that much money of the team as the quarterback, it's been shown, proven, you won't win the Super Bowl, and it's never happened. So if Aaron Rodgers can do that, I'll I'll, I'll tip my hat to him if he can do it. I have a feeling that the Packers will not win another championship and will not win a Super Bowl unless Aaron Rodgers restructures his contract. Because as people have said, and as I have said, winning and losing is not a quarterback stat. It's a team stat. And to win a game, you've got to have a great team, not just a great quarterback. And history has shown us that too. So I think it all depends on Aaron Rodgers, Jack, whether he just decides to restructure his contract to allow them to sign and put people around him. That's what he was complaining about before. And his contract stopped him from doing it before, and now he's got a bigger one. So. Well, last season, the regular season, the Packers had the best record in the NFL for the regular season. So that had to have a big Aaron Rodgers effect. As far as restructuring his contract, that's up to the player. Look, if Peyton Manning hadn't gotten traded to Denver, okay, they, he would have wound up his career with one Super Bowl win if he stood with Indianapolis instead of two. Peyton Manning never restructured his contract when he was playing, okay? 
Tom Brady did, but Tom Brady had a wife that reportedly was making more money than he was. So it's easy, you know, to do that when you're in that situation. But Peyton Manning didn't do it, and Peyton Manning didn't get criticized. Listen, the guy's under no obligation to restructure his deal. You sign a Once. contract. And then they come to you later and they want you to work it out where you're getting less money. You're not under that obligation as far as once once Peyton Manning got that big contract, Jack, the Colts didn't go anymore. They went to the Super Bowl before he got that. Right, exactly. I agree, but people didn't criticize Peyton Manning, but now they're saying, Oh, Aaron Rodgers is selfish if he doesn't do it. They didn't say it about Peyton Manning. Because Aaron Rodgers asked for it, being in the media all the time about it, Jack. He's the one that complained about the team not having the weapons around him. He's the one that said he wanted to leave Green Bay because they didn't have the team that could get to the Super Bowl. It's his own fault. If he kept his mouth shut, nobody would have, would have complained about what he did. But Patrick Mahomes is getting like $5 million a year less. That's significant, right. $5 right. Million, But that takes up a good part of the Chiefs, you know, cap space, I would think. And since he since he got that big contract, the, the Kansas City Chiefs have not – Gone and won. Well, I think they went to one, but they have not won the Super Bowl since. So I, I mean, it, the, the the facts are there, as, as Robert told us. So I, I mean, unless he restructures his contract, Jack, which I don't think he will, I don't think the I don't think the Packers will win another championship. And that division, uh, you all you need is a very good quarterback to win that division to win ten to twelve games. So I, I mean, I I don't see the uh, a benefit of having. One of the greatest quarterbacks. I'm not taking nothing away from him as a quarterback. One of the greatest quarterbacks in the league right now. Uh, maybe the greatest quarterback in the league right now, if you don't count Patrick Mahomes. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what will happen there. I think it's going to be up to him. So we'll see what he does. That'll be interesting to see that. And if he does restructure his quarterback, I'll tip my hat to him, his, his contract. I'll tip my hat to him. I'll say, yeah, he wants to win. So so anyway, that's, that's really interesting. We've got another question about uh, – Ridley getting suspended because he was betting on games. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Doc because I think I disagree with you two both. So I'm gonna sandwich myself in between you two. Um, Doc, what's your, what's your opinion on that? All right, so I, I didn't follow this uh, super closely, but basically, I think sports is in a very precarious situation. They advertise these betting apps all the time, all the time. I mean, it's it's become part of every single, um, basically, highlight show, every single uh, sports network, every single radio show, every single game broadcast. You can't escape the commercials for the various betting apps on and on and on. Bet with us, bet with us, bet with us. And the leagues are only too happy to um, to allow these betting apps to really infiltrate their sport. And it becomes very, very difficult then to, to then uh, keep the sport's integrity when you know it's so tied up with gambling. And I think that, okay, I, I have really no problem with them suspending a guy for a year because because he made a couple of bets. But I guess his point was I wasn't necessarily on the active roster at the time, so I really wasn't in the NFL. Um, but I, I, I think the, they're, they're, they're giving him a harsh sentence. They're, I think he's suspended for a year 
when I think this is something that that that's really just the, the first of many, many, many problems that they're going to see. So I just, again, see it as somewhat inconsistent. We align with betting. We're going to be very involved with betting. We want betting to be a big part of our sport. We're going to market the heck out of all these betting apps. And yet at the same time, we're going to pretend or, or act as though or, or, or be very offended if, if a player involves himself with the very same product that we are advertising all over the place. I, th I think it's just a slippery, dangerous position that the sports are in. I wish they didn't involve themselves with all the betting. So uh, it's not really an answer about whether or not the suspension was long enough. I, I don't know enough about that. I just think that the sports and the betting apps are too closely aligned. And this is just the first of many problems we're going to see. You know, and I agree with the last thing you said there. I think this is going to be the first of many. You look at Pete Rose, right? Pete Rose got suspended from, from being in the Hall of Fame uh, because of betting. See, there's I, I don't know if you guys know this, but there is an app that they put that follows players, whether they go on betting lines or not. They have a marker out there that they closely follow players. I don't I thought I thought the players knew this to see what their uh activity was on betting sites. And that's pretty interesting. I just found that out in the last couple of days. Um, listen, Ridley bet on the Atlanta Falcons. He bet on his own team. And I don't care if it was a win or lose, he did. And he's one of the players that has control of the ball. And if he's willing to bet on his own team, win or lose, there's spreads involved. And he could drop a pass. And all of a sudden, that spread, he could, Jack. No, no, let me cut. I, I, I hate to cut in, Mac, but I have to cut in. Calvin yeah. Ridley was out all last Understand. year. Understand. He had mental health issues. That's okay? what he said. That's he what he said. He couldn't drop a ball. That's he wasn't he a member of the Falcons. I'm, I'm saying on the field, when he plays, he is one of the players that can control us. And if he bet while he wasn't not playing, what's to stop him from betting when he is playing? The rule is the rule. So say he got away with this and he made some money. Now he's playing. The point spread is, say, 10 that the Falcons are favored by. They're driving down the field. And if he if he catches the ball, the spread is covered or it's not covered. And if he drops that ball, the spread either way is affected. You can't do that. And I'm not talking about just a single – uh, 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 a single situation like you're talking about. I'm talking about a rule. When you have a chance to change the spreads, not necessarily even win or lose the game, just change the spreads, and you're one of those players that will definitely could affect that. There's got to be consequences. And if they didn't do this, Calvin Ripley, what's to stop any other player from doing this? You can't allow that. You can't allow having an effect on the on the game. And and Ripley may know something when he's not playing, that somebody else doesn't know. Maybe he knows a player's not playing or a player is playing that's not supposed to. He's got inside information, Jack, no matter what. And he can cause, on the field, he can cause the spread to be manipulated in certain situations. So they definitely should suspend him. And you, you said he said he has mental issues. I haven't seen no report. I haven't seen no doctor's note on that. That's what he says. So anyway, yeah, roll your eyes or what, Jack? I can say that about anything. I can say I have mental issues right Mac, now. Mac, wait, 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 Mac. You know, right. I don't understand your argument. Calvin Ridley sat out all the last year 
because he had mental health issues. Our heart should go out to him. The Atlanta Falcons traded their future Hall of Famer, Julio Jones, to Tennessee uh, because Calvin Ridley was their heir apparent. He was one of, considered one of the great young receivers in the league, but he sat the season out. He doesn't have a criminal background. He didn't break laws. He had mental health issues. I feel a ton no, of sympathy says. from him. He no, sat the year out and while that. he was sitting no, out. He says. While I mean, he was sitting no, 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 out. No, 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 wait, 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 wait a minute. What do you mean you don't understand my argument? You don't understand the argument that he can manipulate a game? You don't understand. No, he can't. He wasn't part you of the don't team. Understand. Do you don't team understand. Yeah. You don't understand that he has inside information on the team? You don't get that. He bet $1,500 on his game. And let me tell I you, don't if care. that's all Calvin Ridley really I don't care. He bet, I don't care. I don't care, Jeff. I don't care if he bet $5 with a betting company. I don't care. It's not right. It should be against the rules. I don't want to hear you feel sorry for everybody that says they have mental issues. Because mental issues today means a lot different than it did before. He sat out the year because care, of that. Jeff. That means I he don't has care. severe issues. I don't and the care. NFL is not helping him with his issues. I don't care, Jeff. You have to understand I don't the situation. Care. Jack, you don't understand. I don't care. His mental issues are not does he is, let me ask you a question. His mental issues. Does he have some kind of mental retardation? Does he have some kind of mental issue? Jack, I'm depressed. Right now, Jack, I'm depressed. And I'm telling you something. I don't know Ridley, and neither do you. So how do you feel so sorry for somebody you don't even know? And for something somebody said. A guy who can make millions and millions by playing. If I he's don't sitting care. Yeah. To take care of his mental health issues, I respect what he's trying well, to do. It's not like he committed a crime or something. He did he commit a crime. He broke a rule. He broke a rule. $1,500. He broke a rule. He broke a rule. You know what the league could have done? You know what the league could have done? The league could have kicked him out. That's what the league could have done. They don't suspend him a year. He's going to make, when he comes back, He's probably going to be in line six, seven million or thereabouts. You call him into the office. If you're the commissioner, you explain to him what he did with the online. And you said, Calvin, that $1,500 bet is now costing you $100,000. Next time you're out for the season, $100,000. Oh, yeah, well, Jack, he already knows. He already knows betting is illegal. He already knows that. Well, you, I mean, I mean, how much planer do you want to parlay bet on his team? I, you exactly. Know, just a combination bet. Exactly. Dollars. Exactly. Don't spend the guy for the year with it. You mean to tell me, you know what Chris Russo said? Roger Goodell probably bets in office pools in the NFL office. Uh, I don't know. I'm not saying that's true. When they have the Super Bowl, you mean to tell me within the NFL offices they're not having a bet? And listen, and everyone encourages betting all the time. Even on our show, you what won't let me win or lose according to the yards. What you does that have to do? Spread, what does that you have to do? The point spread, and what I hate it. What does that have to do 
with breaking the rule in football gambling, Jeff. What does that all have to do with that? It has nothing to do with anything you just said. has nothing to do with what the players are told not to bet on football, professional football. He could bet on Major League Baseball if he wants. He can't bet. What he did, you have to look, does it affect the game? It did not affect the game in how any do, way, shape, or form his bet. How if you quarterback know, Matt Ryan you is know, putting down the bet, how do you then I would know, think, okay, how but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't with the team. Are we going to keep doing this over and over he again? Wasn't at how the do game. you know? How do you know he does not know information that would affect that bet, Jack? How do you know that? What information could they give him? The players on the Falcons could say, "We're going to win the game, Calvin." That's all they could tell him. Oh, that's all they're going to say. Come on, that's all they're going to say. That's all they're going to say. They're not going to say, "Well, you know, uh, uh, that the quarterback or the running back." As of the flu, or not feeling that's public flu. knowledge, they have to. The NFL oh, it's, it's, have to list let me tell you, not. they don't tell he you that on his team. No, he didn't we, bet against the Atlanta it, Falcons. It's Jack. Jack Pete Rose is not in the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose was in the dugout, he because, had a bearing on the game. Calvin but, Ridley didn't, but he so, supposedly he bet on other teams, right? Doc, let's hear from a voice of reason here. All right, so. Again, I didn't follow the Ridley thing. Um, I would have to look and see what the rules in the NFL say for the players is if you bet. If you bet on a game, then you should be suspended. If, if uh, I think what, what the, the difficulty with this is he wasn't on the active roster. And so is that a loophole that says, well, he wasn't technically on the team? I, I don't know any of that. My bigger concern is I just think this is the tip of the iceberg. I think when 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 the sports make such a close relationship with these betting companies, they're sending a mixed message. Betting is good. Betting is good. Betting is great. Bet, bet, bet. Make You can make tons of money by betting. Every commercial, that's all you're hearing. You know, every time they go to a commercial break, over and over and over again. And if you're going to make that close relationship with betting, the end result is you're going to have players. Now, granted, and then you're going to say you're going to suspend them all, but you're going to have more and more situations like this where there's all sorts of questions about um, point spreads and dropped balls and bad calls by referees and point spreads and all that kind of stuff because the leagues are getting so aligned with with the bets and, and stuff that doesn't even inf- impact the end of the game. Like how long the national anthem goes and and what's the first pitch? Is it a ball or a strike? I mean, that becomes very, very, very easy for people to at least try to manipulate. Listen, I'm not telling you to lose the game. I'm just telling you to throw the first pitch out of the strike zone. Let me ask you a question. In baseball, is it legal to bet on games? It is not. It's not legal, right? So suppose a team in baseball has a player that never plays. He's part of the roster, though. Is it still was Ridley part of the roster? That's the question. Well, of course he's part of the roster, but he's he's not he's on the inactive because they, they had his rights to him. He wasn't on the roster, oh, but they oh had my, the he, rights from the Falcons. He was on the inactive. He was on the inactive roster. Anyway, Doc, if you're on the roster, the Yankees, I don't care what. Yes. If you're rock, if you're a roster inactive on, on an inactive roster, are you on injured reserve or some kind of thing? Is it still legal to bet, uh, to bet on baseball? No. It's not illegal then? No, it's not legal. 
I'm talking about the severity, Matt. Maybe exactly. you misunderstand me. I'm talking, talking about the penalty. I'm talking about the rule. And I don't care. I, I, I wouldn't care if he got suspended for the year, Jack. Let me tell you something. Because if he can get away with that right now, what's going to stop him? Who's I mean, the you, face? Wait. you just don't, you just don't do it. He's told that the, all these young players, when they come in the NFL are told it's illegal to bet on football. They're told, but that. let me tell you the hypocrisy. Who's the face of the NFL? The Mannings, basically. They do these commercials for Caesar's Sportsbook and Caesar's Betting and this and that. You see the Mannings do those commercials, yet they, they're broadcast as the Manning Brothers for ESPN Monday Night Football. Listen, I don't, I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying what, because Mannings don't play football anymore. I'm saying what really did was against the rules. He knew it. And just like in baseball, I think any other sport, Jack, you cannot bet on the games you're playing. That uh, the, in the league you're playing, you can't. Mac, it's Mac. Okay, uh, let's say I I'm agreeing with you on that part. Okay, right. the severity of the penalty. Carlos said Ridley's scheduled to make 11 million next year. I didn't know what he was scheduled. If that's true, right. call him in even a million dollars. Say, okay, you're being fined $1 million out of your $11 million salary or 10%, which would be a million and a hundred thousand. And wow, that would hit them hard. That would get the point across with a warning. And people would see play as well. A $1,500 bet cost them more than a million in a fine. That would get the point across. What happens, Jay? Yeah, this what is happens, gonna do yeah. what happens then if it's a player that doesn't make eleven million dollars a year? Ten percent of his salary or whatever well, you well, prorate it, and you get hit hard with that amount, and then you can uh, come back next year. Very I, I, steep penalty. It depends how flagrant the bet is. It I depends. Think, I Situations think, vary. I think a fine would be great, but I think he does deserve a suspension too. It's just it's it's wrong. It's so wrong. It's wrong. And you can't do that. And they're told I that. Mean, if, they were, listen, days, if he wasn't, I can understand the whole. He wasn't listening. If they weren't told that, Jack, I might agree with you. Every player in every league, I think it's hung up in every clubhouse. You don't bet on the in the, in the sport you're playing. I, I, that's everywhere. So I, I, I maybe this should a bet. Let's say hypothetically, Garrett Cole is on the has to miss a couple of months. And he bets a steak dinner, uh, you know, against the player on the opposing team that the Yankees are going to win. A simple thing like a steak dinner. I mean, how much is that going to be? Do you suspend them? It's, I mean, it's uh, the severity. You, know, fun, hey, you put you know. a bet down, so and, now you're and, being suspended. And, and the reason why you don't, and players do do that, is because you're not betting with a betting company. That's that's the that you know that's that that is not the same thing. I understand what you're saying, but it's not the same thing. So anyway, folks, let's get up to the next topic. Uh, one more, which will lead probably to a very good debate, is Mitch Trubisky has been rumored to go to the Giants. I think the Colts would be crazy if they don't try to go get him. But if it is true that he's rumored to go to the Giants, would Daniel Jones? Would this be the end of it, Daniel Jones? I'll go first. I think that it's possible. I think that Mitch Trubisky, I, I went back and looked at their records, and uh, Trubisky did play on a better team with the Chicago Bears. I think they were 12-4 and four one year, and they became dismayed with him because they, after that year they fell off. 
they had problems between the GM and the coach, and you know they had problems uh, whether what they were teaching Trubisky. There was a whole thing going on. I think Mitch Trubisky is a very potentially good quarterback. I think Daniel Jones has played on a bad team for the last few years, and that's affected him too. The uh, the statistics are pretty close. Trubisky does pull ahead of him on most of the uh, statistics. Um, and as I think it's 64% passing to 62, and there's like 3,000 more yards Trubisky has than Daniel Jones. And with the ball there, I mean, Jack has pointed it out before that they have a relationship. They know each other. And that might work against Daniel Jones too. I think it's great if they do that just for the competition alone. Let the best quarterback win. And I, I would have no problem if Mitch Trubisky beat out Daniel Jones for the starting quarterback job that he starts, even though I do kind of like Daniel Jones. But I do kind of like Mitch Trubisky too. And maybe Mitch Trubisky is a better, little better quarterback than Daniel Jones. So I don't know if it will be the end of Daniel Jones if Trubisky goes there, but I think it will be one hell of a competition. And I would love to see that. And if Mitch Trubisky beat him, maybe Daniel Jones has to go somewhere else if he wants to start. I don't know. But it's a very interesting, interesting situation. What do you think, Jack? Okay, giant ownership was critical of themselves by saying, we really screwed Daniel Jones up, all these coaches, all these offensive coordinators. So the ownership, they're blaming themselves, not Daniel Jones. And so when they interviewed a GM and a coach, Daniel Jones was a main part of the topic. Are you? What are you going to do to straighten Daniel Jones out? Daniel Jones is our guy. So they get a new. So they get the the assistant GM from Buffalo to take over as GM for the Giants, Joe Shine, who then brings along the offensive coordinator, of the Buffalo Bills, Brian DeBall, under the condition. We're going to straighten Daniel Jones out. We're going to work with him. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Hopefully they could do for him what they did for Josh Allen, the Bill quarterback. But now it's about relationships. Mitch Trubisky has been the backup quarterback for the Buffalo Bills the last couple of years. They bring him along under the assumption, well, he's the backup quarterback to Daniel Jones. But there's a relationship. Mitch Trubisky is not coming to the Giants to be the long-term backup. In other words, Daniel Jones is given a short leash. Of course he's going to start as their starting quarterback. There's not going to be a competition, but Mitch Trubisky is lurking in the wings. And the thing about it, too, the head coach, Brian DeBall, that's his boy, the backup, Mitch Trubisky. He's coming to be with his guy, Brian DeBall. He was with the last couple of years in Joe Shine. So Daniel Jones is on the, a short leash. It's his job, but he's not going to be given as much of an opportunity to develop as he would otherwise. And even though they told the giant ownership, I'm sure, uh, that GM, Joe Shine and Brian DeBall, the head coach, that we're going to do all we can for Daniel Jones. You're three games into the season, guys, and the offense is struggling, and the fans are showing a little bit of discontent. They're not going to stick with Daniel Jones that long. They'll go to giant ownership and say, look, we're trying. They think Mitch should be given an opportunity, and then they work it out. And that's really that their guy. If I'm Daniel Jones, I'm looking up over my shoulder 
Mitch Trubisky is not a guy they brought in to be a long-term backup. They brought him in to see whether it's he or Daniel Jones who's going to be the starter going forward. There's a real competition going on, even though Daniel Jones is going to be the opening day starter. What do you think that? So, yeah, this is one of those things that I haven't followed all that closely, but I'm looking up Mitch Trubisky's uh, lifetime numbers and – you know, he's a quarterback who wins. He's He's got 29 wins and 21 losses. Uh, he didn't have any record last year. He appeared in six games. He only threw six uh, completions. But the year before he played in, uh, he started nine games. He was six and three. The year before that, he started 15 games. He was eight and seven. The year before that, he started 14 games. He was 11 and three. Uh, the Giants have had very little success with Daniel Jones. And so if they're bringing him in, to push Daniel Jones and to make Daniel Jones a little bit uncomfortable and say, look, we've got a viable alternative. If you can't get it done, I don't think that's a bad thing ever for a sport to bring in quality players who can push the starters. So I would agree that I think the giants would start the year with Daniel Jones, but if he doesn't start winning and the giants don't start performing, I think you go to the backup and we've seen teams do that all the time. And, and, and have great success sometimes. So I think that makes sense. I think it makes less sense to not have a great backup behind him, especially considering his track record. And Mitch is young too. I think he's only 24, 25 years old, something well, like that. You know what? You know, he's older than Actually, that. Actually, he's older than that. He'll be 28 this year. Yeah. Uh, you know what's hurt Mitch Trubisky? He came out in the draft the same year as Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, and he was drafted ahead of them. So people are making comparisons, okay? Thinking, oh, the Bears could have had Watson and Mahomes. But at the time they took Trubisky, it was considered a decent pick. I mean, this is like revisionist thinking. My argument's this. If you forget giant ownership, if they went to the GM and the coach and said, forget what we said about Daniel Jones. Listen, if you want the guys want to start Mitch Trubisky, feel free to do it. We don't care. You're the coach and the GM. They're going to backpedal. All of a sudden, Daniel Jones is going to be 50-50 as far as being a starter. No better than that. But, you know, to get here's, a job, sometimes you have to concede certain things. Here, here's the question. If, if you are a general manager of a football team and you have to have a quarterback and you only have two choices, one of them is Mitch Trubisky and one of them is Daniel Jones, to start the 2022 season, who are you going to pick? Well, you put me in a spot. I'm going to be honest about it. If push comes to shove and I have to win right now, I lean slightly towards Mitch Trubisky. And, you know, I you know, I don't necessarily disagree, but I don't agree with Doc. The, the, the winning and losing records have a lot less to do with quarterback than than Doc thinks it's the no, team. no. I understand what you're saying, and, but, and but Chicago's, he's one. Chicago's team was had a great defense, had a good overall team. They were 11 and three, and after that year, they expected to go to the playoffs again, and they didn't. And that's why they become became unhappy with Mitch Trubisky because it didn't look like he was growing. So to me, Doc, I think Mitch Trubisky, the Colts was are crazy not to go after him. I think he's going to be a great uh, young quarterback. Daniel Jones, I think, has potential. But to that potential only lasts so long. So if they do get Mitch Trubisky, it's going to be a good competition. And I think Mitch Trubisky has a real good shot at becoming a quarterback of Giants. I really do. 
So. Yeah, so if you had a choice right now, you're a GM. You don't have the history I, I, to draft I, I, Daniel I, Jones. You just have, you I, have to pick I, one or the other. If I had Mitch Trubisky in my pocket right now, I would start Daniel Jones to see what he had, and I would have a quick hook, though. I'd have a quick hook on Daniel Jones. I would. Start, you know, I would it's, about having, it's about having a bond. You guys have coached a coach, and let's say you're coaching in a, a, on a league – and one of the players you formerly coached, wow, he came into your district and he can be on your team. And you're extremely fond of him, extremely. And all of a sudden, he's neck and neck with a new kid you're with. You try to be as fair as you can. You really do. But, you know, psychologically, you're fond of your old-time player. It's just the way it is. It's human nature, you know, as fair as we try to be. And that's true. Just remember, though, I mean, Josh Allen, I mean, Josh Allen was a starting quarterback, and Mitch Trubisky was only with Buffalo Bills for one year, Jack. It's not like he's been there for five years. So the relationship he has is, is familiarity and, and and working with the offense while they were there. But it's not like that this they're 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 you know five-year bonded. They're not. It was a very quick one year. So but, but, but an offensive coordinator who's not the head coach of the Giants would, would have seen him in practice all the time yeah. and say, oh wow. We didn't have Josh Allen. This guy's good enough to start in the NFL. You know, he's seen sure. him a lot. That's sure. uh sure. Oh, I agree. situation you could have. I agree. I definitely agree. Folks, that's it for the debate show. We're coming near the end of the show. Sorry, me and Jack went long on that that one thing, uh, one debate we, we had uh, about Ridley. But uh, Jack, I guess, feels very strongly one way, and I did the other. So um, that happens. But, folks, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back next week with the, the debate show. Mac and Jack is on Thursday through Sunday, 8 to 10 a.m. Tomorrow, as I said, we'll be in with This Week in Sports. And Jack is up tomorrow night with Doc. Jack and Glove Fist. At Monday, night. Monday, yeah, night. Monday night. Yeah, Monday night. Right, Monday night. You're scheduling me doubleheaders now, Mac. I mean, yeah, Monday just, yeah. night doubleheader. You got to read the contract. But anyway, Jack, uh, Monday night, 7 p.m. Eastern with Frank Lotirzo, one of the best boxing shows I've ever seen. Best airing today, and then followed by Dr. Paul with Dr. E.J. Fagan with Start Spreading the News, the Yankee Show. So Yeah, and just then closing, we forgot to mention, guys, doubleheaders are now nine innings in baseball. You know, well, and we, no we'll fake runners, no ghost runners. That's no ghost great. Runners. Thank God. I, I, I would have figured the way their rule changes went, they were going to load the bases in the sixth, but who knows. Folks, we'll see you, uh, see you tomorrow. Have a great Saturday night. It's going to rain and be sloppy up here, but it's a Saturday. Enjoy your, your weekend, folks. We'll see you tomorrow.